Well, if you couldn't sing this morning, uh, Pat Strickland uh, is, has maintained his um, certification as a paramedic. He does have a stethoscope, and we can check to see if you're still alive. <laughs> what a great time of worship uh, today. Well, having come through yet another Christmas, we now speed toward the new year. By the time we meet again, it will be 2014. Hard to believe. Seems like just yesterday we were concerned about Y2K and whether or not there would be a catastrophic technological disaster. And you know you are getting on in years when Y2K seems like yesterday and kids in junior high weren't even born yet. Really. They, at this point, right now, think they've missed something. They're on their smartphones Googling which episode was Y2K in? Did he appear with C-3PO and R2-D2? <laughs> you might want to explain that bit of history to them. This time of the year does provide opportunities to review the last year and to make goals, resolutions, I guess, for the new year. You know, how much weight did you gain and how much are you going to lose? How much... Um, you didn't exercise and how much you are going to exercise, how much did you not read and how much are you going to read? Seems like every news website keeps that stuff before us. Most articles are either a nostalgic glance backward at 2013, uh, usually in picture form, or a speculative glance forward to 2014. Those backward glances typically focus on major news sporting, or other entertainment events. For example, the number one book of 2013. Anybody know? Yeah, you don't know. At least, on, at least on Amazon was Strength Finders. How many of you knew? Yeah, that's what I thought. I didn't know either. But I have read it. It's interesting to note that the number five book was Jesus Calling. That's encouraging. The number one movie of 2013 was Iron Man 3. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was a good movie. Now, my wife even tolerated that one. I would, I would tell you the number one performing song, at least in terms of sales, but then I read the lyrics and I was embarrassed. I mean, really. I was embarrassed. It seems the prevailing thought in our culture, even in our own community, is that there is benefit, some kind of benefit, to exposing ourselves and our children to immorality and sin, whether that is written or sung. And I'm not sure that there is biblical or spiritual support for that viewpoint. The glance forward is typically um, political. Who are the front runners in the upcoming midterm elections? The GOP seems to hold a little edge, but the 2016 presidential election shows Clinton and Christie at a dead heat. Economic is this slight upward trend in the economy, real or fabricated? 
And then, of course, the forward glance is always technological. What to expect in the upcoming year from cell phones to tablets. And by the way, the word on the street, as I did some research, is that everything will be bigger. Cell phone screens, tablets, even TVs, because, well, we're getting older. (laughs) All of this gave me pause uh, to think about our past year as a church, as well as an opportunity, the opportunity to take a glance forward. This past year has seen much change for us uh, as a church. As I shared a a few weeks ago, it's been numerically the largest uh, year ever for us um, in in attendance uh, in, in almost every ministry category. It's been a great year for us financially. And for all of that, I'm very thankful and excited about what the new year holds. This past year, we saw the addition of a new pastoral staff position, Pastor Lloyd Blackwell as our executive pastor to provide much, much, much needed admin and management expertise. We also um, saw Dean and Cass Moyer leave for their new ministry position at, in Hilton Head. Uh, but, but with that, we saw the addition of Pat Strickland as our new worship director. Lo- lots of changes th- this year. We, we also had an intentional focus on outreach in our community. We heard almost monthly, I think every month but one or two, from local ministries associated with our church, Freedom Farm, Transitions, Carrie's Home, which is in the newspaper this week, uh, Green Street, Operation Christmas Child, Hospitality House, the Hope Center, our nursing home ministry, just to name a few. We also hosted a number of meals for our community servants. And by that, I'm referring to our fire, police, and sheriff's departments. And those were simple opportunities to say thank you for their care for us. Uh, the last couple of years has been a difficult couple of years in our community for, for those folks, and we wanted to say thanks, and we're praying for you. And I want to take this opportunity to thank Doug Cheshire and his team who headed up those very successful events. We also hosted our first annual um, Buck-A-Bag. Now, now, Doug says bag-a-buck. <laughs> You'll get it. It's Buck-A-Bag. Uh, churchwide garage sale. It was an enormous success. We had a thousand people from the community who came and received some quality merchandise, stuff, things that you gave, and you, just, and you didn't give your junk. You gave good stuff. And, and, and they received it as a simple expression of Christ's love for them. And I want you to notice that I said first annual because I am hopeful that we can do that again. I'm challenging us to do that again this year. And I want to give a special thanks to David Ellington and his team for that, uh, for overseeing that tremendous event. And hope he does it again this year. It really was both a rewarding and challenging year, difficult year. And I am extremely thankful for God's grace in seeing us through those many growth challenges, which brings us to a very exciting year ahead. 
We have a congregational meeting um, scheduled for Sunday evening, January the 26th, where I'm going to share more details. January the 26th, I want you to be here. But as a sneak preview, in addition to a continued focus on community outreach, we also want to focus on building our community, to build our community, both literally and figuratively. Uh, For example, in January, we're going to ask you to strap on your work belts. Got one for Christmas. Yes, I did. And I want you to join us in some physical labor on our new building. We get to roll up our sleeves and do some work. You'll be hearing more about that in the weeks ahead. Very exciting. Again, I'll share more details in January 26, but we also have some other events and ideas planned to build greater community within our church family. You see, as we have grown, we must make opportunities for our own church family, our own church community to connect. Some of you have been coming here for weeks, maybe even months, and you don't feel very connected. We want to fix that this next year. As I talk about spiritual and relational growth within our church community, I recognize that it has to begin, it must begin with church leaders. It must begin with pastors and elders and other ministry leaders. And so to you today, if you fall in the In that category, I say, we must commit to making 2014 a year of personal spiritual growth. We must, must set the example and take the lead. I want to see a time of greater commitment to Christ, to His Word, and to His people. A commitment to Christ is exactly what we've been talking about through our study of Colossians. It is an intentional commitment to the highest Christology of making Christ first in every area of our lives. A commitment to His Word is to think biblically and theologically in everything that we do. Everything that we do must be grounded firmly in the truth of Scripture. We must be people of the Bible. We've seen Paul pray for believers to to that end in our study of Colossians. He prayed that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that comes primarily through the Word of God. I'll have more to say about that as we close this morning. A commitment to His people is a renewed and revitalized commitment to the church of Jesus Christ to make the church a priority in our lives. And for us as people of Alliance, a commitment to this local church. And when I say to this local church, I'm not talking about the chairs that we're sitting in. I'm talking about the people sitting in the chairs. Leaders. I am calling us to a renewed and revitalized commitment to Christ, to His Word, and His people. But I also believe that a renewed commitment needs to happen in our homes, starting with the leaders in our homes. One thing that we have seen as pastors and elders in a church our size is the number of marriages and families, frankly, in trouble. 
I'm not going to give a family counseling session this morning. But I do believe in order for our families to be spiritually and relationally healthy, we must start with its leaders. We must be committed to the household code that Paul has been giving us in Colossians 3 and 4. It must begin uh, uh, with a, 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 com- a commitment by family leaders, that is the husband, the father, and we're going to see masters today. So you can turn to Colossians chapter 3 this morning. We're simply going to review what Paul um, has said to the leaders of the homes, and then we're going to finish the code at the beginning of chapter 4, and I am frankly going to call us to a renewed commitment to these commands as we come to the new year. Now, we remember that Paul is giving what is called a household code. Such codes were common during this time, instructions regarding proper decorum, behavior, and duties for various members of the household. These, those various members of the household were typically listed as husbands and wives, fathers and children, sometimes parents, but typically fathers and children and masters and slaves. I'll get to that. What is unusual about Paul's lists found both here and in Ephesians, for example, is both who he addresses and who has duties within the household. You see, the typical codes of his day were usually addressed to the husband, father, and master. They were the head of the households, and they were given these codes so they could know what to expect of the other members of the household because... The codes of this day listed the duties of the wives, the children, and the slaves as it related to the master, the the head of the household, husband, father, master. So I need you to catch that. The, The codes at this time were typically provided for the leaders of the home, but listed the duties of the so called subordinates. You see, we've discovered that these subordinates all had duties at this time, and the leaders had all of the rights and the privileges, indeed all of the honor. In fact, household codes at this time didn't even list typically duties of the leaders at all, lest it be their responsibility to make sure that everyone else in the home performed their responsibilities. Not only that, no one else was directly addressed in these codes because, well, wives, you know, women and slaves weren't seen as worthy of moral instruction and children, well, they were just, really, they were just barely above the slave anyway uh, and were seen as too young for such instruction. And along comes Paul. And his code was remarkably different in two ways. First, he addresses every member of the household, to include the subordinates, the wives, the children, and the slaves, had a lot to say to them. The point being, he addressed them directly. He saw them as capable of moral instruction. And he saw them as personally responsible for their behavior. Not just the leader responsible for their behavior, but they themselves responsible. 
Not only that, rather shockingly, he addresses the leaders of the household. And he gave them duties. Make no mistake about it, Paul was bringing revolutionary change to the Christian household. He was Christianizing. He was spiritualizing various roles in the home. This was unheard of. When he addressed the wives in chapter 3, verse 18... That would have been a bit surprising as this letter was being read that he directly addressed the wives. Why are you talking to the women? But hey, at least he got the instruction, right? Submit to your husbands. But but, but then while he's addressing the wives, he threw this in for good measure, as is fitting in the Lord. What do you mean by that? Paul, are you implying that women are ultimately responsible to the Lord and not to their husbands ultimately? Hmm. And then in verse 20, he actually actually addresses children, meaning that he expected children to listen and to learn and to grow in their family and spiritual relationships. But, but, But again, at least he got the, I mean, he addresses them directly, but at least he got the instruction, right? Even though he bypasses the patriarch, children, obey your parents in all things. Right. Amen. Hallelujah. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. What? Wait a minute, Paul. Do you mean, don't you mean well-pleasing to the papa, to the, to the father? Are, are, are you implying that even children have Christ as their ultimate authority? What are you doing, Paul? You're messing things up. And then in verse 22, he addresses slaves. <laughs> now, now listen, he's, he's talking to slaves. He's taking things too far. Don't address our slaves. We'll do that. Is it possible that he saw believing slaves, slaves who were believers, as worthy of equal address and moral instruction? This is preposterous. But again, at least he got the instruction right. Obey your masters in all things right. But then he added to all of this instruction given directly to the subordinates, the wives, the children, the slaves, Paul actually gives duties to husbands, fathers, and masters. I mean, as this letter is being read and these instructions come, the, the, the masters probably choked on their peeled grapes, fell off their chase lounges. This was highly unusual. But in order for there to be spiritual and relational growth in their community and frankly and in ours, household leaders must submit to Paul's instruction. Remember those troubled marriages and, and, and families that I, that I mentioned earlier? I am firmly convinced, men listen, that if husbands and fathers would obey the code from the heart, family challenges would largely, not entirely, but largely go away. I'm convinced of that. So let's simply review his instruction to husbands and fathers and add his instruction to masters uh, from chapter 4, verse 1. Then we're going to end our time with a renewed corporate commitment to Christ, His Word, and His people. Chapter 3, 
Verse 19, we see the command to husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. We remember that at this time, wives were not the objects of love. They were simply objects to meet practical needs, namely the need for procreation and the need to be served. I've got a wife so she can serve me. The, the idea of husbands actually loving their wives, this was different. We remember Paul even took it a bit further in the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 5. Love your wives how? As Christ loved the church. And how exactly did Christ love the church? Well, he gave himself up for her. The Lord, that is the master of the universe, gave himself up for his bride, the church. Men, Paul tells us to love our wives in the same self-sacrificing way. In order for our marriages to be strong, in order for our families to be strong, it Therefore, in order for our church to be strong, because I firmly believe that the church is built on the family unit, in order for this church to be strong, I believe it begins with husbands loving their wives. It's why, uh, I'll have this in my notes, I'll try to say something without getting in trouble. It's why when couples come to me for, for counseling because they're having some type of mar marriage problem, kind of, they need some kind of marital counseling, usually I spend the first session, maybe se first session or two, talking to both of them, and then I look at the wife and say, I don't need to see you anymore. You, however, Mr. Husband, I'll see you for the next 18 or 20 months. So what does this loving your wife look like? Well, foremost, that's what I want to be clear about because I believe this is in the context. It is not lording your position over your wife. That, my brothers, is what is outdated. And it has been since the beginning of time. You see, lording your position over your wife is part of the curse you, when he said to the wife, your desire will be for your husband to master your husband, but he will rule over you. That's a negative ruling over you. That's part of the curse. And God has been in the process of redemption, of redeeming us as husbands to love our wives. Yes, God has given you the responsibility to lead your home. Yes. But it is to be gracious, loving, hum humble, servant leadership. It is considering, bottom line, it is considering her needs and the needs of your family before your own. Paul says, further, do not be embittered against your wives because of the unique position she holds. We know this, men, for good and for bad. If she does not rightfully and respectfully submit, there is opportunity for bitterness. I understand that. Paul says, part of loving your Wives in a broken world is not becoming bitter for her failures, knowing that you possess your own. You, as a leader of the home, holding on to bitterness can express itself in angry rage or in passive-aggressive behavior. That's, I have found, to be the choice of the 21st century. I'll show her, I just won't talk to her. 
No place for that. It's not if you are loving your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, as part of the bride of Christ, I've never sensed him saying to me, I'm not talking to you. Your job is not to make her submit. Your job is to love her. And through years of ministry, I have found that the husband loves the wife. Listen to me. I'm going to say this very carefully because we always want to know what comes first. Is her submitting or me loving? Which one comes first? In my years of ministry, I have found if the husband loves, the wife is more likely to respectfully submit. Verse 21 again. Fathers, I'm talking to men, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Again, this was quite shocking that Paul would give fathers duties regarding children. What? Children are to be seen but not heard? This time, all the duties flowed one way, the other way, from the children to the father. Again, they were seen as just little short slaves. That wasn't in my notes. I don't know if I'll say that next service because my little short slaves will be here. Fathers were seen as the absolute sovereigns in their homes. And given the environment of that day, fathers acting as little despotic potentates could exasperate children. We remember to exasperate means to frustrate and to embitter them. And we know what Paul is talking about. You know, men, that you have the power to incite bitterness in your children like nobody else. Paul says to fathers especially, as you lead your homes, remember you have the responsibility to put on the character of Christ, a heart of compassion Uh, of kindness, of humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Remember those? That's what we're supposed to put on toward our children. Lead your children. Instruct your children. But do it through these character qualities of Christ. This brings us to the third and final role of the leader in the home. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Dude, he just comes right out and says it. And not only are subordinates accountable to Christ, so are you. As you sit in your lazy boy. Now, I addressed this challenge of slaves and masters a couple of, of weeks ago, so I'm not going to review all of it. Let me remind us that slavery in New Testament times was quite different than what we've experienced in our American history. And a careful reading uh, of these passages show that Paul expected Christianity to revolutionize the master-slave relationship. We're going to talk about that more in a few weeks when we get to the book of Philemon. It's incredible. Yes, he did tell slaves to obey their masters in all things. But then he reminded them it is ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ that slaves are serving. We we note once again the centrality of Christ in all of life, in, in every relationship of life. If our homes are to be transformed, if our church is to be transformed, if even your workplace is to be transformed, it is going to be accomplished by a renewal of commitment to the supremacy of Christ in all things. It is to Him that we are ultimately accountable. So, earlier, having 
having called slaves to obey their masters and, and, and ultimately the Lord, Paul reminded the slaves that Christ will judge our attitudes and actions without partiality. And then with those words, he transitions to chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I think it's an unfortunate chapter division there. Remembering that God will judge without partiality, masters, you might just want to treat your slaves with justice and fairness if you expect the same thing from your master. Justice speaks of providing that which is right, fairness, interesting word. It could speak of simply fairness as is translated, but listen to this, this is really important. It often carried, this word often carried with it the sense of equality. And given this context where he has just said there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor freeman, no doubt when he used this word for fairness, some in the congregation raised their eyebrows. Is he calling us to treat them justly, fairly as equals? This is what they would have heard. At least it is there in the shadows. Why? Well, because you know that you too have a master in heaven. Masters, you do not rule with impunity. This was huge. They thought they did. They thought they could do whatever they wanted. No one was there to hold them accountable. Paul is now making Christian husbands, fathers, and masters accountable to Christ himself. They were not the ultimate masters of their homes. Christ was. And to every member of the household, uh, um, uh, every member of the household is accountable. This was revolutionary. And remember, this was to this letter was to be read in the gathered assembly like it is this morning in front of everyone. Masters, he says, this would have been shocking. Masters, you too are a slave. That's what he says. You have a master to whom you must answer. This, the same master that everyone else is going to answer to. And they would have been choking I mean, they wouldn't have, they would have been sitting there looking straight ahead. They wouldn't have looked over at their wife. No, man, are you kidding me? 1 Corinthians 7.22 says it this way. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave, you became a Christian while you were a slave, you are the Lord's freeman. Likewise, he who was called while he is free, he is now Christ's slave. Do you see how that Christ came in and turned human relationships upside down? That's what that verse says. You see, you need to understand that this is not a complete household code. What do I mean? It doesn't cover every significant topic within a household. It doesn't address every duty of, uh, of the person. I know some of you would like me to do that. Whose job is it to do the dishes? You figure that out. He doesn't talk about the foundation of marriage, the, the faith, faith, faithfulness within marriage, the issues of divorce and, and remarriage, the, the care of widows, the training of children, the honoring of parents, or a number of other household issues addressed elsewhere in Scripture. Because Paul's primary concern here is authority. Authority. And listen... 
we get all bothered when we read something like this by the functional authority in the home and we miss the main point. We miss the point that Paul is making that the master of the universe is the Lord of all. This book that proclaims highest Christology, the highest Christ to whom we answer. You want to get upset about the functional authority that is enumerated here? Get upset by the fact that you answer to Jesus. That's the point. You should also know the word Lord or Master was used in everyday language in the household. This was not an unusual word. The husband, the father, he was the Lord. He was the master of the house. To hear them addressed as such would have caused no alarm. It was common. It's what my kids call me at home. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, in, in first... I'm so glad I have another service to do this, you know, where I can correct the mistakes. Um, in 1 Peter, we read, do read that Sarah called Abraham Lord. So I'm going to tell my wife, no. <laughs> it was no big deal. But what was not common was for Paul to suggest that the master of each house was not ultimately sovereign. Some of you men need to hear that. The husband, the father, the master of each house was not ultimately sovereign. In the Christian home, Christ is the one to whom all will give an account. In this book that exalts the supremacy of Christ, in this household code, Paul is simply saying, yes, okay, observe proper decorum and duties because here's why, here's the bottom line, Christ is Lord, he's the master whom we all ultimately serve. That's the point. Of course, while we don't have slaves in the household today, these principles can be applied to work relationships where there are employers and employees. And if you have subordinates in the workplace, I would just say to you, you have people that report to you, just make sure that you treat them with respect and justice and fairness. It does apply. Let me say it this way. Christian bosses ought to be the best bosses on the planet. I didn't say the easiest. That's where some of us get confused. I didn't say the easiest. I said the best. Because while Christian bosses may be demanding, and they should be, because they seek to do everything in word or deed to the glory of Christ, Christian bosses are to be just and fair. Men and ladies who serve in this capacity as a boss, you make sure that you are demanding just and fair. You ought to be the best. But I'm talking about the home and the church this morning. So in order for your individual families and for our church family to grow spiritually this year, there must be a commitment by its respective leaders, leaders in the church and leaders in the home. There must be a commitment to Christ, to his word, and to his people. Now, I want to say this very clearly. There is no shortcut to personal spiritual growth than spending time with Christ who is supreme in his word and in prayer. 
The only way that you can know how to love your wives and children, to not be embittered against them, and to not embitter them, is to spend time in the Word and in prayer. So, I'm almost done. Save the best for last. Because I am challenging, right now I'm throwing down the gauntlet. I am challenging church leaders to commit to daily times of reading God's Word and prayer. And we're going to talk, by the way, about prayer next week. Verse 2 says, be devoted to prayer. That's next week. I am challenging household leaders, husbands and and fathers, church leaders, to commit to daily times of reading God's Word and prayer. I am encouraging you as leaders to challenge your families to read the Scripture this year. People, how can we be followers of Christ and not be committed to His Word? I'm challenging you to be committed to God's Word however you choose to do that. I have an example, just a personal example. As the head of my home I have written a personal email to all of my family members to read through the Bible this year, to do that together, and to hold each other accountable in the task. I ran off copies of the Discipleship Journal reading plan and gave each of them a copy. And it just so happens I made a few extra copies for you in the back. Or you can simply go to Bible.com, create a Bible.com, you can remember that, and create your own uh, free login ID and sign up for a reading plan that fits you. Here's the point. I want all of us to commit to being people of the Word. In order for there to be a family, community, this community, and spiritual growth, we must together be committed to Christ, to His Word, and each other. And so let's do that this year. One final thought. If you make a resolution to read God's Word, however you choose to do that, to pray, let somebody know so that they can hold you accountable, not to the drudgery. Why do we consider reading God's Word drudgery? Not to the drudgery of God's word, but to the joy and eternal benefit of doing so. Okay? Let's do that. Let's stand for prayer. Father, you have, as, as I gave some time of intentional thought prayer about last year. You have done some amazing, marvelous things through some difficult and good challenges. And and, and we trust you for where you have brought this, your church, and where you are taking it. But we also recognize that we cannot ever sit back. We need to be committed intentionally to our great Christ, to his wonderful word by which he communicates primarily to us and to one another. Help us to do that this year. Do great things in building community in this, your church, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.